Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast, where you have myself, ESG Fitness, and also Maureen, ESG Fitness. (laughs) How are you? Hello, I am very well, thank you. How are you? Jealous of your tan. Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Love South Africa. Love Mm. it. Mm. Might not come home. Wow, (laughs) is it very hot? Yeah, it's like... 27 to 30 yesterday was quite nice it was like 24 to 26 it's quite windy though oh yeah that climb you did looked cool but pity about the view i know we're gonna redo it gonna was it do a big it. long one like no it's not that bad you you get like an uber kind of halfway up and then you just <laughs> oh, <road big. laughs> yeah you just do the little end bit but oh, yeah well, that's okay no it was really hard actually no you're right it's people call it the the Everest of Africa yeah you're an absolute wimp getting a taxi (laughs) um okay right I've got a question I quite like your view on this and then I'll tell you my answer so she says hi I'm sorry Gordon you've spoken a fair bit in recent podcasts about never breaking promises with yourself but my question is how do you get over it when you do break promises with yourself, even with range targets and reasonable challenges and low or no restriction? As someone who has successfully lost weight but generally struggled with consistency and putting weight back on, I am now working on my habits and putting small building blocks in place to actually change for good. However, over the last week, things have been so manic with illness and Christmas, work and kids, and so my focus on my audit drifted Um, because my habits weren't yet ingrained and so I took my eye off the ball in terms of the promises that I made I find this psychology quite hard um, as I don't want to be that person who breaks promises but there we are I have I've tracked it but I haven't managed my lower range on the steps every day I've gone over my calorie range on some days and I haven't worked out Um, I'm can you hear that real no. big um, no okay very strong not sure what it is anyway um I most definitely do not want to have either a victim or excuse driven mindset but the fact remains that this hasn't been the best week and it's hard not to feel that I've let myself down and that narrative creep into my head I'm a very positive person so I can also see that this festive spell has been um a lot more measured than than what it would usually be However, I can't get away from the fact I've broken promises to myself. Any thoughts and advice and happy new year. A lot going on there. Yes. My, my, just thought it'd ease you yeah, in. Yeah, quite long. Yeah, thanks. Um, My initial reaction to that or response to that would be that she's been very hard on herself. I would think I do agree to a certain extent about not breaking promises to yourself, but I think sometimes people can set unrealistic expectations of themselves and which aren't reachable. And then if you're constantly having this high pressure on yourself of unrealistic expectations, you constantly feel like a failure if you're not meeting those promises of yourself. So. And especially she said, was it that she was sick? Did she say she was sick? No, just that it was the Christmas period and that she didn't um, get it all It definitely that. was something about feeling ill, no? 
I didn't just hear that out of nowhere. I didn't hear it myself, but uh... <laughs> okay, okay, I must be picking up something else. But yeah, I I would say, I would say to assess the expectations: are they realistic, or are they like just totally realistic? Are you being very hard on yourself? Um, and the reason that I'm saying that is because I have definitely done this myself, where I've put or I've set unrealistic standards of myself, which like they're not. I wasn't going to reach them anyway, but then end up berating myself for not reaching unrealistic standards. So I would definitely say to kind of give yourself a bit of self-compassion, meet yourself where you're at and you can reassess that you don't have to be perfect all the time. Um, Yeah, that would be my my response. So I'm going to say two extra things because I think 100% agree with that. But in this, she kind of says, right, even when I set, sensible targets I'm not over restricting I've got sensible range targets I mean we set them for her of course they are right but I think you can still reset them if you know you're going into Christmas and you're like do you know what for the next month I don't even care about fat loss I just want to enjoy myself I don't want to go like wildly off track but I'm gonna just rejig things if you can foresee that coming then absolutely do that secondly the way I like to see this as well is that even if you do that, and even if she said in here, you know, I've set like realistic targets, I should be able to hit them. I haven't done anything crazy or over-restrictive. Sorry, there's some sirens going off. I should probably shut that window. Anyway, um, what was my point there? Oh yeah, you will still have life throwing curveballs at you, right? Or like, I don't know, your, your plane's delayed and you have to sit on the tarmac for four hours. Like you can't get your steps in, it's not realistic. So what I go back to is, have I genuinely tried my best? Like, am I ill? You know, that's the other thing. You kind of brought that up, whether it was relevant or not to the question. But if you're ill and you're putting this like wild pressure on yourself to, to do something, it's like you've not broken a promise to yourself. You just have to be realistic and compassionate. And this is where like the frame of parenting yourself, like you would never say to your child, oh, you're like, I don't know, you've got sickness and diarrhea, but you said that you were going to get your steps in. So go and do your steps like it's ridiculous right you wouldn't expect it of anyone else so you have to put that like realistic frame on it and then when are you bringing it back to kind of breaking promises to yourself one of the ways I like to think about this is a friend that you trust right so like Maureen always shows up for me but if one time she had something else on or she double booked something I wouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe she's done that to me. She broke a promise. She said we were doing a podcast at six and then now she's got something else on and blah, blah. I'd be like, she still shows up all the time. One time something came up. Like you wouldn't suddenly, you know, think that you're a flaky friend. Whereas if every single time we booked something in, you were like, oh shit, sorry, I'm not coming. Or I had something else. I'd be like, she's really flaky and unreliable that's what you need to think about yourself. Like you want to be able to trust yourself to rely on yourself. Now, obviously stuff happens, right? You always have a friend that like, yeah, with, like if you make a plan with them, you're like, yeah, that's going to happen. And now and again, it won't. And that's fine because that's life. But you'll also have friends who are like, oh, do you want to do this tomorrow? And you're like, yeah, sure. And you fucking know that they're not going to go and you're not going to go. And you don't even put it in your diary because it's not going to happen, you know? I think it's that. Like you want to be able to be a friend that you can rely on and not flaky but also give you yourself and your friend some compassion mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. okay question here 
Correlation between age and weight gain. Why do we all seem to gain weight as we age and it's harder to lose? Is it more behavioral than physiological? So if I was going to put like a percentage on this, I'd say it's like 95% behavioral. There's a small physiological impact. Now, if you're on commit to six, this is actually a one-to-one client. So it's irrelevant for her because she's already doing all the right things. If you're someone who still resistance trains, and thus you're not going to experience the same muscle wasters wastage with age that tends to happen on average, then your base metabolic rate won't reduce, which means that you won't be expending less energy, which means that you won't put on as much body fat, all other things being equal. Um, but that's the main thing, like from a physiological perspective, the main contributor of um anything to, to weight gain as you age is a reduction in basal metabolic rate. In terms of the psychological thing, I think a lot of people, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that, mm-hmm. that people have this idea that, oh, when I get to a certain age, I'm just, it's inevitable that I'm going to gain weight and your actions kind of align with that belief that you have. And also it doesn't help that people, you know, put headlines out or, even like your mates were like, well, you know, you're over 50 now. So that's just what happens, blah, blah, blah. And that belief also means that you won't try. Because why would you try if you've been told that that's just what happens as you age? And you're like, well, I can't not age. So then I'm not going to try to stay in shape because it's inevitability. And then shockingly, that comes to fruition. and You can't stay in shape because you're not putting in the effort to do so. So I can get it. And I get why people kind of, give up even if it's somewhat subconscious like we we work with so many perimenopausal women who are like nothing's changed but I've put on weight and subtly things have changed right and it's like small changes in in your behavior that aren't noticeable it's things like oh I get the car more often or I have slightly bigger portion sizes it's not like these huge massive changes that's why people think absolutely nothing's changed and now I'm storing all this this weight even if you think on a smaller scale, I notice this in my own behaviors because I try and be quite observant of it. But if I haven't slept well, I'll be way hungrier. Now, if I wasn't like aware of that, I would think, well, nothing's changed since yesterday. And then I might slowly start eating more, right? And I might start moving less as well. And both those things are quite like prominent when you haven't eat- when you haven't slept well. And that's exactly what often happens during perimenopause. Like one of the most common side effects is sleep disturbance. The impact of that on your behaviors, even on quite a subtle level that you wouldn't notice will then have an impact on your weight gain as well. So there's always something that's changed. You haven't magically started storing fat from nowhere. That doesn't happen. So there has to be something that's changed. Okay. Um, here's one for you would be interesting to hear you talk about expectations in physique do you think we all have ridiculous expectations that we can look shredded based on 99% of what we see on social media versus the reality of 99% of the world's population yes yeah yes anyway (laughs) moving on (laughs) yes full stop yeah I, I think social media has a big thing to play there um diet culture um, but I do think the expectations of people are totally unrealistic. Like we see pictures of people who are shredded online. But if you go to like 
I don't know, a beach or something, majority of the people there won't be in that shape. But yet our virtual reality leads us to believe that that's the way people are all the time. And I think we hold a sense of um, they are more worthy because they're in that shape. And yeah, totally unrealistic. Yeah. And also you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. Like a lot of people who stay in that shape are in that shape because of the way, well, all of them are in that shape because of the way they live their lives. No, you can't just pick one thing. You can't be like, I want to be, you know, I want to look exactly like that bikini model, but I want to have my life, my family, enjoy meals out, you know, like all the other things in my life. I have an incredible career that I spend a lot of time on. Like, no, no, no. If you want that, you also have to only eat out once a month. Make sure you do your cardio every day. Get into the gym five days a week. Have protein at every meal. Sleep for eight hours a night so that you can recover. You know, and it, it might just not fit in your life, right? And also, you might just not want to do that, which would be absolutely fine. But I think it, it, if you're holding yourself to that outcome, you have to be realistic with what's involved to get there. And for some people, they like living like that. Like I stay pretty lean most of the year as a byproduct of how I live. But I like living the way that I live right it's, it's not a chore to me to get up every morning and go to the gym like I, I like doing it I see the benefit of it I feel the benefit of it but not every you know and I don't have kids so I probably get better sleep than other people um but also I think some people then all, it kind of flip that into a, ne- a negative because you can look at that the other way like I don't have kids I don't have as much love in my life like it seems like kind of like a sad thing to say but that's also true I think people are like oh it's so unfair like I'm not going to sleep as well well like you know you, you've created a family like it's pretty phenomenal but that does come at, at a cost right everything comes at a cost so yeah you have to see both sides of things I think that's such an important frame when you're comparing to anything or anyone you can't just be like oh I want I don't know someone might look at me and be like oh she's off in South Africa working I wish I had that okay but what you don't see is I don't have the same job security as you do. I don't have like, I don't know, medical care if you're American. I don't have like a, a family base with three kids and I don't have a, what you know, like there are loads of things that I don't have because I have this freedom and you have to accept both of those if that's what you want. There's pros and cons to everything. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ready for the next one? Yes. Okay, thought for the podcast. I suspect cooking food on heat increases calorie content versus the sum of raw foods, including oils, etc. Um, we are providing energy because we are providing energy into it. I read some articles that said it makes food easier to digest and changes its nutritional breakdown. I'm sure getting into details would be overcomplicated, but it's made me consider more eating more salads rather than cooked foods. Um, most Indian food is this so I'm a bit upset but don't worry I won't go in fuck it (laughs) this is an Indian client um just uh just thought of sharing in case you want to discuss on the podcast no pressure so what you're talking about here is the caloric availability of food that does change as you cook food some actually goes the other way honestly most of it is minutia like it really really doesn't matter for the vast majority of the time if you eat like raw food it will take more energy for you to break that down than if you eat cooked food which you could kind of see as being like semi-digested already right in some instances like if you're looking at like a 
a cooked carrot versus a raw carrot, um, it's probably you're probably able to extrapolate more of the calories from the cooked carrot than the raw carrot. You're looking at, you know, especially when you're talking about vegetables, it's like, who cares? <laughs> like really doesn't matter. It's certainly not the reason that literally anyone is not getting results. That's why we don't talk about it because it's somewhat interesting, but it's not really relevant. And I think caloric availability of food generally is quite interesting. Like it, it, it would probably be, you know, an extra little reason to sway towards whole foods as opposed to ultra processed foods where a hundred calorie of donut, you're probably going to absorb all those calories. If you eat hundred calories of carrot, you're not going to absorb all of those calories. Um, yeah. Anything to add on that? Nothing to add. Okay. Also, I'm reading Ray Dalio's principles. It's overly verbose. What does verbose mean? We're asking the wrong person. Okay. Let me go. <laughs> this Thoris. Verbose. Um Oh, such a good word. And this is very true for like all self-help books. Using or expressed in more words than are needed. Uh, but yeah. I, well, firstly, thank you for the word because, yes. That's going to be in Emma's content multiple times this week. I know. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's so verbose. <laughs> Just toned down on the, I wonder what like the adjective of that or like the doing of that. Anyway, um, she was very verbose. <laughs> Get to the point. Okay. Um, but yeah. he says at one point to think about connection between tasks and goal. Why am I doing this action? This is now my target. This is how I use my target tracker. Would you recommend, oh, would recommend the life principles section to you? Think you'll enjoy it and appreciate it. Well, there you go. I've recommended it to everyone now. Hmm what was the question that part <laughs> that part, part wasn't the question it was from the same questions before um oh, okay so let me just get up oh no i wonder if i'll be able to find this the old question post from last week or if you or oh, you've probably been tagged multiple times by now yeah, it's quite far down quite far down on the old tags right don't worry i'll get there somehow I hope. Um, yeah, I know. This is going to be really great listening for people. Yeah. Just to let people know, I have a little bot of a pair that I haven't made to the bin yet. Oh, lush. Babe, don't put that in the bin. That's good. No, I can't eat that part, Emma. Definitely eat, not now either. Her, no. Did you no, like? I don't sound like that. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you know what a great accent is South African um, accent is it are you obsessed now go on give us the rendition how's the texture oh yeah. impressive that's the only thing I can say <laughs> <laughs> what was that referring to the texture of some meat oh <laughs> how's the texture yeah Okay. <clears throat> did you, you didn't okay. write them all? No, I did. I did. Ooh. 
What do you think about BMI? Should I follow that as a guide for what is a healthy weight? Um, I think it is it's a good standard if you are someone who is very overweight, but it can become a bit misleading if you're someone who's quite lean and has a lot of muscle mass. But I think it is a good range for somebody who is trying to uh, lose body fat. Yeah, agree. And and remember, it's a range like anywhere within that healthy BMI range and you might fluctuate between it. I honestly think it gets a little bit too much shit. Like there are a few issues with it. And to me, the biggest issue actually isn't, oh, you might have a bodybuilder and it will say that they're overweight, but they're not like, I'm sorry, but anyone with common sense would be like, I saw a lot of muscle mass, like I'm, I'm fine, right? I think it's a stupid, like to be like, oh, look, here's one reason it doesn't work to throw it all out is very silly. So for the vast majority of people, this is literally why it's used. It is a very good marker of health. The part I don't like about it is that what's actually more indicative of metabolic health isn't just how much fat you have or how much you weigh compared to your height, which is what BMI is. Um, it's where you store that body fat. So you could have someone who is a higher BMI, but they store more fat around their bum and their legs and their arms. Great. That's actually quite a safe place to store body fat. Or you might have someone who's a lower BMI, but they store a lot of visceral fat they're going to have more metabolic complications. So it doesn't take into account that, which is why some people use um, waist circumference, which is probably a, a better marker to look at, or use both, you know, get the data on both. Um, but yeah, I think BMI plus a bit of common sense is pretty good for most people. And if you're, you know, a, a, a power lifter or you've got a serious amount of muscle mass, then yeah, like, be sensible with what you're what you're aiming for but that's not most people you know yeah <laughs> um okay i would love your thoughts on berberine and how to reproduce the effects of a zempec naturally if possible i know it would never be the same as the drug but are there natural ways to increase glp1 um so berberine is quite interesting i think the hype around it's been overplayed might slightly increase insulin sensitivity but most supplements or regimes that will slightly increase insulin sensitivity like naturally you'd, you'd be better just going for a walk after your dinner like it's like a drop in the ocean if you're already active your resistance training and your yeah well those two things basically you're going to be more insulin sensitive from that than taking a bit of berberine so I, I'm mean, yeah. I don't rate the current research on it. Um, the There's research isn't there on inositol, or is there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, slight sensitivity as well. I'd probably class it as similar. Like a lot of these drugs or compounds kind of work as exercise mimetics. Um, so like metformin, which is one of the most commonly used type two diabetes drugs is known as an exercise mimetic right it mimics some of the impacts of exercise so you're like well you'd be better exercising right and a lot of the research from this comes from sedentary type 2 diabetics so it's like you're seeing a small amount of insulin sensitivity increase in someone who's very insensitive to insulin and who who isn't active whereas if you're here 
already being active, already going to the gym, already moving, you know, and you're not type two diabetic and you probably, I mean, I don't know if this individual is or not, but you're probably quite insulin sensitive. Um, then I don't think it's going to have much impact at all. Uh, yeah. And then mimicking GLP-1. So that would essentially be mimicking the impacts of insulin, which most people don't need to do. You know, you be more insulin sensitive. So resistance train frequently, go for a walk after your dinner, don't store too much body fat. You don't need to worry about anything else. Your body does it for you. Okay. Um, oh, okay. I think we're... Oh, no, wait. I skipped some and then went, oh, gosh, I'm a little bit lost. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, right, here we go. How to get over the feeling of being completely overwhelmed by the process? Does it help to pre-plan an entire day slash week of food and workouts? Um, I think that helps for some people. I don't think it helps for everyone. Like, I... I couldn't plan a full week of food like just would mm. not work for me at all. We'd be like, no, I don't want that now. I personally think kind of going like a day or two. Well, planning workouts and, and stuff like that, I think is good. You can plan those in advance if you know your schedule. But I just for food, I just don't think personally planning a full week. But I know some people love that. They they know exactly what they're going to have in every day of the week. That just boring. <laughs> frozen oh no oh no emma has frozen <laughs> we might have to cancel the end of the podcast oh she's back am i back no hello <laughs> you were gone oh you're back well we got quite a lot hello didn't we can you hear me now yeah we did you just went there at the end oh, okay um i i agree with you I thought that was an excellent answer. Hopefully it is recorded. I don't really know how that works if I'm recording it. Although I could hear you, so maybe it works. Oh, well, maybe. Okay, we'll have to just wait and see. Um, yeah, I agree. I think um, it gets a bit boring, like having that much of a plan around food. I think having some structure is so beneficial, which is why we put in the three to one method. Um, I would test that out and I would definitely plan ahead. I think having a plan, even if you don't stick to it, is going to mean that you're way closer to that plan anyway. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone who said, if you say here you're feeling overwhelmed, then make a plan. You always feel less overwhelmed when you make a plan, even in different contexts. If I know that I've got like stuff to do for all the businesses and, you know, like stuff going on and the launch here and I feel like I'm forgetting stuff, I just write it all out. And every time I do that, I feel so much more relaxed. I'm like, okay, this is stuff that needs done now. This can wait. This part isn't as important. Like, I can see how that would now fit into a week. And it can be the same when you're starting like commit to six, like you, oh, how will I fit in my workout? When would I get my steps in? When would I do this? What am I going to have for lunch? Like if you just sit down, calm yourself a little bit, be like, okay, practically, what could I do this week? What does my week look like? Right. Okay. And I know some of this might change, but at least I've got a bit of a plan of what that looks like. Yeah, and if overwhelm is the thing, just plan one day at a time. Like if if you don't, if planning a full week is going to add to the overwhelm, then don't do that. Just do one day at a time. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. What was I going to say about that? Yeah, I normally have two plans. I have my week plan, and then I have, and then I wake up every day, and just it takes me five minutes just to be like, right, okay, this is what needs done today. So you've got like a mini plan because stuff changes, you know, overnight. Or you might be like, oh no, the kids are off school, or oh my son's sick, or oh the bus broke down, or whatever. And you just need to be able to adapt a little bit. But normally by the morning, you kind of know roughly how your day is going to go. So, yeah, I would highly recommend that. When is the, is the group call starting in three minutes? Yes. Right. I, so I've been looking at the time. I was like, we need to go. We better bloody go. Right. Okay. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, if you're on Commit to Six, we're about to see you on the group call. If you're not yeah. and you want to join, head over to esgfitness.co.uk, fill in the application form, and I'll send you an email. Okay. Bye. Bye.